Therefore now go lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto them. Behold, my angel will go before them. And the Lord will plague them, he said, because they had made the calf 35. Now in verse 33, chapter 33, he comes down. The Lord tells them that he is going to discipline the people for what they have done. But he tells them that there is no, I'm not going up with you, but I will send an angel to take care of you. Notice what he says. Um, and to a land flowing with milk and honey, I'll send an angel before thee. Verse 2. So the Lord tells him what he's going to do. And Moses now returns back to the people. And when he does, he tells them what God has done. And he pitches a tent outside the camp. Verse 7. He excommunicates the whole nation from the presence of God. And he takes the tabernacle in which he has been meeting, and he moves it outside the camp. And now Moses will go from his tent to outside the camp to worship the Lord. And the people will come and stand at their, at their tent, and they'll bow their head as the man of God walks into the presence. And the Bible tells us that the Lord will come and speak to Moses. Look in chapter 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tender of these words have I made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did not eat meat nor drink water. He wrote upon the tablets the words of the covenant and of the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the mountain. That's his second time. He went up once, forty days comes down, Stays a while, now returns to the mountain and spends 40 more days in the presence of the Lord. It came to pass when he came down, came down from the mountain that Moses wished not that the skin of his face shone like his, uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, the, uh, the skin shining and, and so forth. And Moses called unto them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation reported unto him and Moses talked with them. And afterward the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in the commandment all that God spoke to them, and he does notice. Till Moses had done speaking to them, he put a veil on his face, and the children of Israel saw his face, and uh, uh, that skin of Moses' face shone as, as an angel. And in verse, uh, chapter 34, that's the uh, end of chapter 34 when he writes the second time. But notice in the 34 portion of it, he takes those two tablets that he had written and spends the time there, and he's in the presence of the Lord. When the people come in chapter 33, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man spake unto his friend. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest thee, bring up this people, which thou let us know, which thou sent with me. And Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence will go up with thee, and I will be with thee, uh, with thee and give thee rest. And he said unto them, Notice Moses. If thy presence go not up with me, carry us not up hence. 
For herein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separate, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto him, I'll do this thing to you. And he asked now, Moses does, in verse 18, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. The first part of Moses, I know I read some lengthy passages to you, but I want you to get this, uh, the sequence of what's happening. Moses has gone up into the mountain his first time, there 40 days. The people have promised that they will serve the Lord and they will fear him. Whatever he tells us to do, we will do. And the Lord said that was well. Moses goes up into the mountain now. And the children of Israel get kind of skimmish. Forty days and heard nothing from Moses. And after the forty days, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Moses, get you down. The people, I'm stiff-necked and I'm hard against them. And I want you to, I'm going to wipe them from the face of the earth. And he makes mention of this about him. He said that, uh, now therefore let me alone. That's verse 32 and 10. Therefore let me alone. Isn't that interesting that the omnipotent God would look to a man and says, let me alone? In other words, Moses was standing between the people and God. They've sinned. Moses knows nothing about it. God knows what has happened. They have taken a golden calf and they've worshipped that golden calf. Some of them have come to Aaron and said, Aaron, we don't know what's happened to Moses, but we do know we do know that we want to worship. And they said, the, uh, the God that's brought us up, we don't know what, what's happened to him, so make us a calf that we may worship. And in that, they were going to worship the gods that brought them up out of Egypt. Notice, they were put others before them. They'd already had a commandment, you're not to make any graven images unto me, and they said they would obey, and now they've rejected it. They have a misconcept of God. They think of God as an ox that has brought them up on his shoulders to Mount Sinai. When you get a wrong concept of God, your worship will become base. You can only worship according to the attitude or the mindset that you have with God. Amen. If God is high and lifted up and holy, you yourself will be separate and holy. But if you think of God in any form like that of man or that of image, if you think of him lower than what he is, your worship will be accordingly. You cannot worship God beyond the concept that you have him. What you think of him is the way you will worship him. And we have low in the churches today because they have a low concept of their God. They do not see him as the one that Moses saw him or as Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. They have a low view of him and their worship will be low as well. So here it is. God sees this and they've turned their hearts away from him. And now Moses comes and, and, and the Lord says, I am going to wipe them away, move out of the way. And Moses stands his ground. And he says, now, Lord, I don't think you ought to be doing this. <laughs> he, that's what he says. 
And Moses besought the Lord and said, Lord, why has your wrath waxed hot against your people? I don't understand you. What have they done to deserve being wiped off the face of the earth? And you call them stiff-necked. And a few minutes later, he will understand why. But here he stands in the presence of the Lord. And the first thing that Moses is concerned about is the honor of God. This is foremost to him. He says, move away, I will make of thee a great nation. That's what he promises. I'll bring forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Moses says that to him. For mischief did he bring them out. He told him that I will make of you a great nation. That's what he says. I'll consume them, verse 10, and will make thee a great nation. I'll fulfill the promises that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through you. Notice Moses is a son of Abraham. And if he will just listen to the Lord, it will be that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. Wow. He will no more be known simply as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will be known as well as the God of Moses. Wow. Be put among them. This, is, this speaks to us of clearly the meekness and the humility of Moses. And he's not going to have any part of God destroying his people. And, he's, and it's not because of whether they're bad or not. He said, I don't understand why you're doing this. But he says, Lord, look what's going to happen to you. They'll say that you brought your people up out of the Egypt. You brought them to this mountain to slay them because there wasn't a place to bury them in Egypt. The whole world will laugh at you. I don't want to have any part of this. And then the Lord goes down. He repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And he carried the two tablets. Moses has stayed the judgment of God. All because he prefers the honor of God to his own honor. He prefers that the Lord would, if it need to be done, let it not be done, Lord, because I see that this can be a disadvantage and a dishonor to you. Now, when he gets down there and he sees them, his heart waxes hard. Notice, Moses has the heart of God and sees the people. They've stripped themselves and they're worshiping and they're dancing in front of their calf. It's been made by Aaron. He took their gold and they fashioned it. And, and now he sees them for what they are. They have deserted uh, the creator, their very God. And he's waxed hot. He drops them. They're not worthy to have the, uh, the commandments that they've given. They've broken them. So there's no use of you having this precious gift. And he casts them down. It breaks them. And then he has them ground up. And he tells the people... Puts water in, tells the people to drink it. And they line up to drink it. And then, under all those on the Lord's side under me, the sons of Levi come now, go out through the camp, take a sword, and all those who are committing uh, adultery and fornication in their temple and their uh, uh, tents and worshiping their God, slay them. 3,000 are executed. When the law was given, 3,000 souls were executed. When Pentecost came and the Spirit was given, 3,000 souls were saved. A marvelous thing. Mount Sinai was to be predictive of Pentecost. 
Because God's presence came down upon Mount Sinai. And God's presence will come again. This time after Jesus has died and raised again. And sit down at the right hand of the Father. And the Spirit is sent. And 3,000 souls will hear a gospel message that will bring them life. Those who break the law of God shall receive punishment accordingly. God will judge those who break his law. But to those who hear the gospel message and believe, there is life and life everlasting. The choice is ours. We can follow those on Mount Sinai who would wish to, I don't know what God's doing and I don't understand, but I want to worship my way. We worship our way. We receive the judgment of God. But if we're willing to tarry in Jerusalem and seek the presence of the Lord and worship God's way, God's presence can become ours. Now notice, it was first his honor to the Lord. He was going to put God first and did so. After this episode with the children of Israel, Moses returns to the mountain and talks to the Lord. And he says, you're right. Notice in verse 31, this people have sinned a great sin and made themselves gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. Now he's really concerned about it. God said he was going to destroy him. Get out of my way. He pauses God's judgment. He's got to go and talk to the Lord about this. So up the mountain, he makes the trip and he says, Lord, they have sinned a great sin. But I want you to forgive them. If not, Blot me out. Notice he said, I'm not going to take any honor. I'm not going with you in this judgment. I'm not, going to, I, I'm not going to be a nation. And you brought me out here to make me. I'm not going to do that. Your honor is great. But if their sin is so great that you cannot, re, they cannot be forgiven. Then blot me out with them. Because I'll have no part of it. That's something. And uh, if not, blot me out, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. He is willing to suffer eternally with the people of God than to walk with the Lord and receive his honor. That's because he honored the Lord more than his own selfish ways. Somewhere we've got to reach that kind of honor in which it is all for him no matter what. And if I have to die with my people, I will die with them. But I do not want, I do not want you to be dishonored among the people. They dishonored them, but Moses is not going to dishonor them, but he will stand with them. And God tells him, I will punish who I will punish and blot out the name. And then he tells him, I'm going to send an angel to you. I'm not going to go up with you because if I go up with you, guess what I'm going to do? In my anger, I am going to consume you. So I'm going to send an angel with you. Moses comes back down the mountain and tells what God's going to do. He tells them that they need to repent, take off their uh, jewelry and repent and turn to, uh, uh, to the Lord. And what you need to do is uh, wait upon what God's going to do and tells us he's sending an angel to come with us. The people, well, Moses now excommunicates them uh, uh, from the presence of the Lord, as it were. And, and now, they, now they, are, they are separated. They are, they're outside. God is outside the camp. He is no more among them. But he speaks to Moses. That cloud that was there would stand upright. The pillar of cloud would stand upright. 
and Moses would talk and the Lord would speak to him face to face. God was inside the cloud talking to Moses who was outside the cloud. And the Bible tells us that he spoke to him as a man face to face. If you notice in verse uh, 9 of 33, And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudly pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloud, uh, uh, cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle, and all the people rose and worshipped every man in his tent uh, door. And the Lord spake with Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. The only thing that kept him from seeing the face of God was a cloud between them. He's on the other side of the cloud, and I'm on this side of the cloud. He's already asked the Lord to forgive his people. He's got that made. He's already turned God's judgment against the people interceding them. Now, he's already interceded for them twice. And now, he's going to have to bring this issue up about presence. I don't want an angel to go with me. So when he comes to talk to the Lord, Moses will say, uh, notice verse 12. Thou sayest unto me, bring us up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou hast sent with me. Yet thou said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. You know who I am. But I don't know, and you've not really told me who it is that's going to sin come up with us. But then he will not have it. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider this nation is thy people. Lord, I want you to go up with us. That's his, pr that's his prayer. I don't know the angel. I know you. And you're the one that brought us up out of Egypt. Well, now, I don't want to go anywhere if we don't go with you. And then the Lord promises, notice, he will say, well, Moses, I'll go up with you. That's what he says. And he said, my presence shall go up with thee, and I will give thee rest. I'm not going to give them rest, and I'm not going up with them. I am going up with you. Moses won't have it. Notice what he says. If, and he said unto them, If thy presence go not up, not with me, carry us not up hence. If you're not going to be with me, don't carry us up hence. And wherein shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? How is it going to be known that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separate, I and thy people, from all the people upon the face of the earth. I don't want to go up just with you. I want the people to go up with us. I don't want it to be just me and you, Lord. I want your presence to be with your people. Because your presence is what makes the difference with us. Yes. If you're not with us, we're no different than any other nation. Yes. What separates us from everybody else is your presence among us. Yes. I don't want to be separated as the man of God living over people that are rebellious and stubborn. I want your presence yes. not only to be with me, I want your presence yes. to be with them. Yes. And what does the Lord say? 
And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. <laughs> Whoa! What a man. Move aside. No. I'll go up with you. Won't have it. And he said, notice, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Amen. He's on a roll. He prayed a prayer <laughs> and stayed the judgment of God because he knew that the omnipotent God could move him. When God begins to move, nothing can stop him. And when God spoke to Moses, anyone less than that, well, Lord, I can't stop you from doing whatever you want to do. You know, go right ahead. It's me and you. I'm not like them anyway. They've been so stubborn, not listening to me. Let's do it together. <laughs> not Moses. Has a second time going up there and talking to the Lord. Lord, they've sinned, and if you can't repent them, then block my name out too. He didn't say, I reconsider your promise that you've made to me and I understand why now. They are a vile and wicked people and they are stubborn. They do deserve your judgment. Just blot them out and I'll take what you said. No, I'll go with them because I will not be a part of dishonoring you. It was not that he loved the people so much that he would be willing to die for them. That's not the occasion at all. He loved the honor of God so much that he was not going to be alone. Just him and the Lord. It would be a disgrace to God that he brought his whole people up out of Egypt and then slew them and one man was the only one. No, Lord. Just brought my name out as well. I'll take the punishment with them because I am not going to dishonor you. And the Lord says, okay, but I'll give you an angel. Now, he doesn't talk any Lord about this angel, but he goes down and tells the people about it. When he tells the people about what it is and separates them, they understand how much they are in the judgment of the Lord. And now Moses, who speaks to the Lord out of the tabernacle, he now talks to him face to face. And now the Lord says, notice what he says. Moses I'll go up with you, but not with them. That's, about, that's a good spin on it, you know. God said, you know, I'll wipe them away, and it'll just be me and you. No. Okay, I'll forgive them, but it'll be just me and you, okay? Less in my anger, I'll just destroy them anyway. So, it's just me and you, Moses, just me and you. And then Moses says, oh, I know I need you to be with me, but I need you to go up with all of us. With me and your people. Don't just separate me from your presence. And I have your presence. And your people don't have your presence. Because it's your presence that makes the difference. Like I said, he's on a roll. He's got everything he's wanted. Now with all that done, he takes the opportunity to ask what he's always wanted to ask. And he says, notice. And he said, I beseech thee, show me your glory. <laughs> That's what he wanted. 
All this time, he's been face to face with a cloud separating. He saw the glory of the Lord in the burning bush. He saw the glory of God as he brought the children out of Egypt. He saw the glory of the Lord had descended upon Mount Sinai. He saw all of those, but he wanted to see glory. What was the glory he wanted to see? Well, the Lord will tell him. He said, I'll show you my glory. I'll put you in a place and I'll hide you in a rock. And when I pass by, I'll put my hand over you and then I'll take it away. And you can see my back, but my face you can't see. That's what he wanted to see. Moses thought that seeing the face of the Lord would behold the glory of God. God's glory revealed in his countenance. And Moses is on a roll. And I'm going to take it. He pushes the envelope as far as he can push it. Lord, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, you can't see my face, Moses. If you see my face, you'll die. What a way to go. <laughs> well, that's what I would have said. Come on, Lord. If I, if I die, what do I do? I just walk right into your presence. I see you, I'm absent, and I'm present with you. That'll be a wonderful way to go. But the Lord says, no. And then he tells him what he's going to do. He said, I want you to take two stones. I'm going to ride on them, come up to, in the morning. And when he gets up there, notice in chapter 34. And he hewed two stones. Locked into the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning. Some of us would not have been able to do that. He rose up early in the morning and went up into Mount Sinai, and the Lord commanded him and took him with two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud. <laughs> the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now notice what God does. Moses gets up on the top of the mountain and the Lord comes down in a cloud and he proclaims the name of the Lord. First thing he does, proclaims the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord God, and the Lord passed by before him. He stood with him and now passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and uh, truth, keeping mercy for the thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin and will by no means clean the guilty, clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and the fourth generation. Now what did Moses do? Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And now he prays. If I have found grace in your sight. Pardon your people. And he said behold I make a covenant. Now. Let's look at those three things. Honor. Presence. And glory. Here's the key. To life in the Lord. First, a life must be a life in which honors him above everything. If we're not very careful, we, we will serve him with our lips and our hearts will be far from him. Notice what's going on. Moses is in the mountain honoring the Lord and being with him. He's been there for 40 days. 
in the presence of the Lord. He's not ate or drunk anything because the presence of the Lord has sustained him. But the children of Israel, they don't have that kind of steadfastness and honor. Once their leader is from them, and it seems as if something has happened to him, they get kind of itchy. They get a little upset. Hey, it's been 40 days now. He's not here. We got to worship. How long are we supposed to be waiting for him? How long has it been since you were away from the presence of the Lord? How many times have you gone to his presence? And it seemed as if there was no answer. And the man of God was not close by. And you, and you say, I don't know. What have I done? God's not present with us. Oftentimes they're not. If, we don't be, if we're not very careful, we'll find ourselves when God seems to be absent from us, we begin to uh, waver. We begin to think of other things. We want to worship and we determine that we're going to worship our way. We'll do it our way. And, and, and that's what it is. We're going to worship the God that brought us up out of Egypt. They didn't, they didn't violate the commandment that they said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me because they were going to worship the God that brought them up out of Egypt. Their intent was to worship the God that brought them up out of Egypt. But what they did is that they wanted to make a God that they could see, that they could behold. And when they made the calf and the way they thought about the Lord, it would turn their hearts from him. They broke that commandment to make no graven images unto me. That's our problem if we're not very careful. We find ourselves in worship and we determine that we're going to do things our way instead of God's way. The children of Israel failed because they were not going to be steadfast or did not or were not steadfast in their commitment. We'll do whatever you tell us to do. And Moses told them, wait till I come back. I'm going up into the mountain. I'm going to talk to him, and I will be back. Something's happened to him. I don't know what's happened. And I'll tell you, a lot of people are the same way. It seemed as if God be far away. They could go to worship, and it seemed God is not there. They pray, and God is not there. They read the book, and it appears to be nothing but uh, a serial. And they say, well, I don't know. I felt God was before, but I don't feel him now. I think maybe that he doesn't like me anymore. I wonder what I have done. What we need to do is stand steadfast in the commitment that we have made under the Lord. Steadfast like Moses, who said, Lord, it's to your honor and to your glory. You're first in our life, and I will not do anything that will deviate from your honor. That's what he does. He does it by standing in the presence of the Lord and which holds it to, uh, his wrath. He also will do it when he prays and asks God to forgive them. He also stands in his very presence and says, I want your presence to go up with us. I'll go up with you. That's not enough, Lord. you got to go up with all of us. I wish we had preachers today who could say, Lord, it's not enough that my anointing be on me. We need your anointing on your people. We need singers who can say, Lord, I just don't want you to anoint me, but I want you to anoint the congregation as I sing the words. We don't need congregations or groups just to sing so that we've got something to do. We need to sing and make melody in the hearts and honor the Lord. Everything we do, whether we eat or drink, we're to honor God. Amen. First things first. Yeah. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The first thing that's required of you, required of me, and required of everyone who names the name of Jesus is that He will increase, we will decrease. He is the one to receive honor and glory. It is not what I want, it's what Jesus wants. Amen. We say we want revival. We say we want God to do this. But if we're not very careful, we're not willing to honor him. True. Oh, Brother Mister, I honor him. Really? When we come to worship, do we focus wholly on him? Or do we find ourselves going through our little uh, telephone? Or writing these and that. Talking to individuals that are close to us. You know the Bible tells us Jesus with a parable that the devil comes. The word is priest. But birds come and take the word of God from us. And then Jesus said the birds are the activities of Satan. Oftentimes, if we're not very careful, even in the very presence of the Lord, words spoken by someone else or communication that we have with others in the very presence of the Lord or we're flippant in our praying or we're flippant in our Bible reading or we come in and out in the sermon, we find ourselves what? Doing things that will bring dishonor unto the Lord. Worship is a command performance. When we come to worship, we come to worship one and one alone. We don't come to honor ourselves. We don't come just simply to listen. Sometimes if we're not careful, well, they didn't like my singing. They didn't like my preaching. I didn't get any, they didn't get anything out. Somewhere we need to look beyond the people and let us, let us preach what God has laid upon our hearts. Let us be, let it be delivered under the anointing of the Spirit. Let us sing our songs. Let us bow our knees. Let us spend our time in the presence of God, giving Him honor and glory. This is not a religious club where we just come and flip brownie buttons to our God. We've come to lift our voices under the awesome eternal one who by the blood of his son hath redeemed us from our sins and washed us and made us whole. Amen, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. But if we're not careful, we'll get nothing out of service. If we're not careful, we'll get nothing out of our deeds that we do every day because we do them because we have to do them. It's a chore. And we complain. I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I didn't have to do that. I don't have enough time to do whatever I want. And I know life has burdens. And we're all burdened down. But in the midst of it all, God can give us strength. If we will only do it as a service unto the Lord. We just don't worship God when we come to the house of the Lord. We worship Him on our job. Well, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. If somewhere we could get it in our mind that whatever I do should be pleasing unto the Lord, wherever we go, we would be honoring Him. And whatever thing would come our way, it would be like water off of a duck's back. Why? Because it doesn't affect me. Paul said, none of these things move me. And when God has told us what to do, when we know what is right, to do when we're supposed to be doing good let's do good as service unto the Lord 
First, to the honor of the Lord. If we're not careful, we just honor him a T-bit. We'll flip the brownie button here. We'll give him honor there. Or we'll call his name when we pray at the table. And we'll listen to everything else instead of him and his word or songs that would uplift us and strengthen us. Moses had a passion to honor God. If we would get a passion to honor God. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when you stand before my Father. Oh, I don't want him to be ashamed. I don't want to be one of those who weep when they see him. That's why Paul, uh, John said that we may not be ashamed at his coming. There's going to be some people ashamed at his coming. Because we'll look back and we'll say, how could I not believe him? He's real. This is real life. And I wasted my life and it's over. Let's not waste ourselves getting things. Let's use things for the glory of God. We're not here to accumulate wealth. We're here to give the glory of God. And if he gives us money to take care of our needs, and he gives us money beyond it, let's not be greedy. Let's be giving people and sharing what God has done for us. Let's build treasures in heaven with all that we do. Let's sing praise before him. When we stand before him, let him say, You're well done, my good and faithful servant. But honor brings the presence of God because Moses was willing to honor the Lord. The Lord promised him his presence. Now notice, this man is so keen on the Lord that he's not going to have a substitute. We have fellows today who have substitutes. They like to tell you, God's given me an angel and he's with me all the time. They brag about being a man of God. And I have my own special angel. I have my own special anointing that nobody else knows. It's like that song we sing. Go to the garden alone. And there, there's a love that nobody else knows but he and I. No, that's not true. There are none of us who have a uh, 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 call on the Lord, a special thing that nobody else knows. No. Mm-mm. God wants to give us freely. God is no respect of persons. Amen. What we've done, the way we have done it, we have isolated ourselves from him. We want just so much and no further. My dad used to preach a sermon, and in that sermon he used to talk about being the fullness of the, having the fullness of God from Ephesians chapter 3 uh, about uh, the inward man be filled with the fullness of God. And my daddy said, you know what? You take a thimble to the Lord and you give him a thimble. He'll fill your thimble and give it back to you. If you bring him a cup, he'll fill your cup and he'll give it back to you. You bring him a, 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 a jug or a jar, he'll fill it and give it back to you. If you want to bring him a five-pound lard bucket, he'll fill it and give it back to you. If you give him a five-gallon bucket, he'll fill it and give it back to you. If you bring him a bathtub, he'll fill it and give it back to you. He said, God will fill you as far as you want him to fill you. 
The problem with some of us, my dad said, is that we're satisfied with the little that God has given us. And we would like to have more, but we're not willing to pay the price for the more. If God would give it all, okay. But if this is all I get, it will be, good. It will be okay. That's not the way Moses was. Moses said, I'm going to honor you regardless. If it takes my life, I'll go with them. I want your presence, and I'm not satisfied with an angel. I do not want a substitute for the presence of God. And how many times have we substituted things for the presence of God? Instead of uh, uh, having spontaneous uh, uh, moving of God in our worship, in which in old days, some of you will know what I'm talking about. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and there's a spontaneous shout, there's a spontaneous dancing, there's a move in the presence of the Lord. It's not corrugated. It's not planned. It's not essential. Uh, All it is is a spontaneous presence from the Lord. But if you don't have the Spirit with you, you've got to do the other things. You've got to corrugate the dancing. You've got to plan out the preaching. You've got to do the this and that, and you got to get it all and all we want to do. Lord, would you please bless it? We don't need to just do something and ask the Lord's presence. We should be saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do in this worship service? What sermon do you want me to preach today? What song do you have for me? We are to go to the house of the Lord ready to lift our hands and pray. Be willing to sing and make melody in the heart. There should be no excuse we should make no excuse. Well, I don't have a song tonight. I'm sorry, preacher, but I don't have a... I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have a sermon. You'll have to get somebody else for me. We ought to be ready every time. If I go to a church, if they ask me to preach, I, I don't say, well, no, no, I don't think I will. If they ask me to preach, I'm going to preach. And, I, and I told, I've just come to worship and that's all. And I was truthful. But if they insist on preaching, guess what? I'll preach. I will. Testify, do whatever. That's what we ought to do. Every one of us ought to. Every musician should be able to say, I'll play my instrument to the glory of God. Everyone who sings ought to have a song ready to come uh, to worship and not have to be begged to sing. We ought to be able, when you come to the choir, the choir director ought to have songs ready, and we ought to be willing to lift our voice in praise and magnify the Lord. It shouldn't be a hotshot thing that we do. We ought to come into the presence of the Lord to honor God Almighty. Like I said before, this is a command performance, and in the command performance, you do your very best. You do your very best for the king. You do your very best for the queen. You do your very best for the president. Yes, a command performance. That's what worship is all about. We come into his presence and we're going to honor him. Amen, amen. He's got that cleared up. He's not just going to go with me. I'm not going to be... The the big shot here with the presence of the Lord and everybody else and say, ooh, look at Brother Moses, the man of God. Lord, I want to see your glory. Honor brings presence. And presence brings a hunger for glory. The Lord was in the cloud. And Moses knew the presence of the Lord. 
But it wasn't enough just to have his presence. I've got to have your glory, Lord. Oh, praise his name. And this is what we need. We just don't need the presence of the Lord to be in our worship. We need the glory of God to come down. And the, and the Lord tells us, he descended in the cloud and stood in the place when Moses went up into the mountain. Now, interesting, if you will note in the latter part of chapter 33, God tells him what he's going to do. You'll come and stand on a rock. I'll pass by and show you my glory. I'll hide you. You can see my back, but you can't see my, prayer, my face. But when he gets up there, Moses doesn't record that. He doesn't say, and the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with me there, and he covered me, and he passed me by, and I saw his back. Hmm. Now why didn't he record that? Because God said he would do it in chapter 33, but when the event comes, Moses doesn't share it. Because there's some things in our experience with God that does not need to be spoken. You hear me? If we're not very careful, we program and we view and we let everybody and churches want everybody to see the church and people are shouting and praising God and going around the altar. We take the pictures, we take the videos and we just let everybody see it. And we think we're doing good. And they look at it. And them with unholy eyes. And with unholy hearts. They don't see nor feel. What we feel. Right. To them it's just a. Spiritual circus. People gone crazy. But the way acting. And look how crazy those people are. There are some things. It should not be spoken of. The intimacy of a husband and wife are not broadcasted nor talked about. Why? Because it's too sacred, too intimate, too dear to share. And if it was, it would make the holy profane. We as God's people need to understand there's sometimes when God moves in a worship service that it's just for us and nobody else. God moves among us in a marvelous way and touches us and the world doesn't understand it. They don't need to know anything about it. All they need to know is that God has been among us. And if they want to know anything about it, let them come and see for themselves the glory of the Lord. It's not something that we propagate. It's not something we just put out there for everybody to see. There are some things holy. There are some things sacred. Moses said, I, I, uh, uh, Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw things that were unlawful to see. And did he tell us anything about them? No, he doesn't at all. I am telling you, there are times when it's just you and the Lord. Yeah. And he makes himself real to you. And you don't have to tell everybody about it. It's just you and him. Amen. Just you and him. What is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is in the proclamation of his name. 
He stood with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by and proclaimed. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Here's what he proclaimed. The Lord. The Lord God. The first word, Lord, is in capital letters, meaning Jehovah. He declares that I am the self-existent one. I am the independent one. I am the one who has life and the source of life in myself. Independent of everything, I am. And then he says, I'm Lord God. It's the Lord Jehovah, but God there is Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us that the glory of God is seen in his creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. What we need to know is that God's glory is seen in the proclamation of his name. And his name is that he is the self-existent eternal one. He is the creator of all things. First, the very essence of our God brings glory. But secondly, what he does brings glory. Nobody can do it quite like God can do it. I've looked wherever I've gone and I've not found a copyright anywhere. And I've not found a patent anywhere. I don't look at a tree and it looks down there and says, made by God. I go around, you don't see anything anywhere that says made by God, copyrighted, uh, all rights, you know. We have to do that, but God doesn't do that. Why? Because he doesn't have to do it. We paint it. He made it. We can't make it. He paints it. No, he doesn't. He makes it. We're the ones that paint it. God doesn't have to say, this is mine and this is mine and hands off. He's made everything. And all we need to do is look at the glory of God and say, our God hath made it all. Our Father in heaven hath created it all. Hallelujah. I take what he made with the trees and we do things with it. But I can't make anything out of nothing. But he can take nothing and make something out of it. I don't know how in the world that can be done, but God can do it. All he needs to do is say it and it happens. How do you do that? I don't know how you do it. I'm not God. But God has the ability to say and his very words are creative. That's the God we serve. He's not dependent on anybody else. We're dependent. I need water. I need air. I need the earth. It's like the atheist who was talking to God one time and Said, God, I wish you would leave me alone. And God said, okay, get your own dirt. God can't leave you alone. You may wish that you could get from him. But even if you are in hell, God will be there. Whether you like it or whether you don't makes no real difference because God is going to be wherever you are. And you may harden your heart and turn away from him and live a a vagabond life separate from him. But one day, every one of us is going to stand in the presence of our creator and be judged for what we have done in this flesh. We cannot escape him. Not only is the glory of God seen in his name and his very essence or nature, not only his creative powers, but in his character. Notice. Merciful and gracious and long-suffering, 
abundant in goodness and truth, knowing mercy. God is glorious in his character. There's no one quite like our God. No one as good as our Lord. No one. And when Jesus came, they beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What is it that magnifies the Lord more than anything else? It is our God is a holy God. Our God is a merciful God. Yes. Our God is a kind God. Our God is gracious and willing to forgive. Yes. This is what makes him separate from everyone else. And the problem is that oftentimes we've taken the glory of his character and we abuse it. We say he loves me, therefore he will never judge me and I can live what I want to because God understands me and it's okay and I'm not perfect like everybody else and God just understands the way I am and we think that by the making excuses that we are not like him that it's okay I want you to know something turn please to a passage found in 1 Corinthians Lord, help us. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, it profit me nothing. Though I give my goods to the poor, my body be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love endeth not. Love boneth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Love never fails. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. In the grace of God given to us, it is demonstrated in the love that God has demonstrated through the giving of his son. Put your name there, please. Charity suffereth long. Put your name there. Messer suffers long, it's kind. There's not envy. There's not Vaughn himself. It's not puffed up. Put your name there. If you read it, and it sounds like a, a tinkling cymbal, you get down there where it says, rejoices in truth. You bear all the mmm. Believe the mmm. Hope all things. If you read it sincerely with your name in it, it'll expose you to some things that may be weak. Do you suffer long? Or do you seek yourself? What I'm simply telling you is that this is the glory of the Lord seen in us. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. The gifts of the Spirit is the creative powers of God among us. It's God working and doing it. And Moses and Paul said, when they come, they will see God's glory among you. In the speaking in the tongues, in the, in, the, in the miracles and so forth. These are all created things that God does. But it's character. What we're concerned about is gifts instead of fruit. Or people are concerned about fruit and not gifts. God is marvelous and he can do great things. And those deeds are gracious to us. But also our God is loving and kind. 
God was patient and he forgave us. Do you forgive? Are you quick or irritable? Love's not that way. Do you get upset real quickly? Do you find yourself unable to bear the things and fall apart? Something's lacking. It's a terrible thing when Holy Ghost people who talk about being filled with the Spirit are irritable, grumbling, complaining, fault-finding, not willing to share love, not minding the things of the Lord, but minding their own things. That's the glory that the world needs to see. It's not the glory of our buildings that they need. We're the temple of the living God. God wants to dwell in us. How much of Jesus is seen in us? It's not enough to have him come down on a Sunday night or a Monday night and we feel the presence of the Lord and we're not changed when we get outside the church. That we still have the same uh, cranky attitudes and sourness that we had before. These things should not be named among us. Why? Because that's not the glory of our God and it's not our glory. Oh, that we may see Jesus and Jesus may be seen in us. That's what we need. We need to honor him. Put him first. We need to have his presence. But his presence should change our lives. His presence should give a hunger that we will behold his glory. It never dawned on Moses that he could have the glory of God. Never dawned on him. He thought that the best he could ever do is to see it. He didn't even know that the glory of the Lord was shining through his skin. He didn't know it. I wish that we got so lost in the Lord that we wouldn't even know the presence of the Lord in our lives. But for him to have it, it would be fading. He'll leave the bell on to let them know that the glory's gone. But we live in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, while in the old, the glory faded away. The Spirit of God changes us. Like unto His image with increasing glory. We should be more like Him tomorrow than today. We should be more like Him next year than now. Every moment of our lives should be a life in which we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Give us a church. Give us people who are willing to say, to him be the glory. Great things he have done. Let's forget about ourselves. Let's forget about our program and say, Lord, let your presence descend upon us. Let the glory of God be seen in all that we do. In everything that Jesus be seen. The glory of the Lord came down in the temple. And the glory of the Lord before that came down in the tabernacle. And now the Bible tells us that we are his temple. Wow. Wow. (coughs) Brother Otis, did you get that? We are his temple. Did you get that, Brother White? We are his temple. 
Hello. You want me to call you each out? We are his temple. And not only are we his temple, our body is his temple. We collectively are the temple of the Lord. But my body is the temple of the Lord. What therefore should your body do? We should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. The first thing we do with our body is that we give it in honor to Him. What is the new convert to be done? What advice should we give to everyone? The first thing that we are to do is present ourselves, not our heart, Not our heart, our bodies. Our bodies is everything. We can't do anything without our bodies. Like I've said before, if you do something without your body, you're outside the body. I can't do anything in this world without my body. And if my body is wholly given unto the Lord to honor Him, oh, praise the Lord. It becomes a temple of praise that everything you do, whether you're changing diapers, whether you're at the the Walmart, whether it's your car, whether you're worship, everything you're doing is an honor unto God. We're worshiping and praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Much more could be said, obviously. I'm not out of words, but I need to stop. Who do you honor? Who is it, Rick Woods? Who do you honor? Why do we do the things we do? Why are we really here? We call this place Somerville Pentecostal Worship Center. It's a place to worship. It's a place in which the Spirit of God comes and moves. Oh, that it would be true. Let us not substitute anything. Let us not be like the children or the saints in Galatia who started in the Spirit and wound up in the flesh. I've lived long, and I've preached long, and I've seen many things come and go. But one thing that breaks my heart is that the Pentecostal movement, beginning in the spirit, is wound up in the flesh. And most of the worship in our churches is just fleshly oriented.
want to see is glory. Would not it be wonderful that when we beheld the face of each of us, we saw the kindness, the love of Jesus. I've had men who've shown me their driver's license. That's what I was before I knew Jesus. And I've looked at him, Pastor. That's not you. That was me. If there's not a change in our lives, then we've not been changed. I may not be what I all should be, but I will tell you one thing, I'm not like I was. And if God help us, I want us to go from glory to glory. From one glory to another glory. Until Christ is seen in everything. Where does it begin, Brother Messer? It begins at an altar in which we will say, You must increase, I must decrease. All to his glory. Your honor first. Let me not seek any. Our Lord is a jealous God. Let us stand. Lord, your people have been patient listening to me, and I thank you for their patience. But we have come, Lord, not just to hear, but to be moved by your word. Oh, Lord, we need you. I'd like for us to pray, but I'd like for us to do it this way, please. I'd like all the men that are in the sanctuary to come and stand to my right your left. And I'd like all the ladies to come. Stand to my left, your right. There's enough room here. There's enough room there. 